Good evening. Today we're in the Talmud series number 20. And uh, last week we spoke about some rain subjects. And we're still in Masechet Ani today. And uh, we should start with uh, the words of the Gemara that Rav says that every day there's an echo. There's a spiritual echo in heaven that announced that the whole world is receiving food thanks to one righteous Jew. What's his name? Hanina ben Dosa. Hashem announced, the whole world is eating thanks to my son Hanina, and my son Hanina eats carobs. Hard, vegetable, fruit, it's a fruit. It's very hard, sweet, with seeds. And that's what he eats all week. That's how poor he is. One time, his wife, you know, on a Friday night, a Friday afternoon, everybody bakes halot in their ovens, all the neighbors, she has a bad neighbor. The neighbor comes to see why her oven is on. It smells like fire. What's inside? Obviously, there was nothing in. She went and she saw halot there. Hashem made them a clear miracle that there was challah bread inside for her not to be embarrassed. And that's their situation. So the whole world sometimes can eat thanks to one person or a bunch of people. And these people, Hashem is testing them so in such a high level that they may not have anything. Everybody eats thanks to him, and Hashem says, okay, let's get you to the higher level, and higher level, and higher level. Let's see how much faith and emunah you have in me. And the Gemara brings another example, that uh, his daughter wants to light Shabbos candles, and there's no oil. Oil, even today oil is not so cheap, especially olive oil. But in the old days, when everything was primitive, not like today, today it's all machinery, it was very difficult to prepare olive oils. And when finally you have it, it's, it's expensive. So she doesn't have oil. So she comes to him, she says, we don't have uh, oil for Shabbat. How are we going to light candles? He says, I don't understand. What's the problem? Put vinegar. She says, since when do you light fire with vinegar? So for him, it was so simple. You know, the Gemara tried to show you what level this person had. You know, we don't find people like this anymore in history. He told her, the one who told the oil to lead up can tell the vinegar to lead up. What's the difference for him? This liquid should lead and this one should not? What's the problem? And she had a miracle and the, and, and the vinegar was, was lighting the whole Shabbat even longer than the oil. And they used it for Avdala. That fire that they had, they were able to use it for which means it was 25 hours on, which normally oil can be only a few hours on. The Gemara say in another place that Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa have sheep. And the people in the area come and say, hey, your sheep is eating grass. They're stealing. Why don't you lock your sheep in a place that it's not uh, private territories? Take them to the mountains. Why, why they eat from our grass? We need our grass for our own sheep. The question is, how all of a sudden he has sheep? What's going on? We just heard that he's the poorest guy in the world. Even money for oil he doesn't have. Even for bread he doesn't have. It cannot be more poor than this. All of a sudden he has sheep, tens of sheep. That's a rich guy, tens of sheep. It's enough to eat for 30, 40 years, no? You give, giving birth to baby, you have milk, you have meat, you have everything you need. What? So, the Gemara brings a story how it happened. One day a person came, knock on his door. Excuse me, sir, I'm going to the market now. 
and I have this rooster with me, this chicken, and I don't want to walk with the chicken all day everywhere I go. So can I park the chicken by you? Can I put it by you? So he said to him, uh, yeah, of course, put the chicken by me. So he took a, a stripe, he tied the chicken's neck, and he put it to some pole over there. And he said, I'll be back in a few hours. They threw some seeds on the floor, and the person went and never came back. The person never came back. So the person never came back. Hanina now has a chicken. What is he going to do with the chicken? Then the chicken, gave, the chicken gave birth to the eggs. Now the eggs became chicks. And then more and more, and it started to grow, and it became hundreds of chickens. It's all a house. It's chickens running all over. What are you going to do? You have to watch it for that guy. Maybe one day he remember that he left a chicken here. It's very interesting. I saw yesterday in Yeshiva a very interesting question about the chicken. Ruven and Shimon are neighbors. Shimon has a lul. You know what a lul? Where all the chickens are sitting on the eggs? Chicken what? Chicken coop. Chicken coop. Very good. And, and Shimon and Ruven, the neighbor, had five eggs. Those eggs need a chicken to sit on it. He doesn't have chickens. He only have the eggs. So he went quickly without permission to his neighbor backyard. He put it under his chickens. He marked an X on it or something that he know which chickens are his. You know, when, once the chicks come out, it breaks. And he knows which one came from him. So he put them in different uh, uh, coops, like over there. And uh, the, then after a few hours, the chicks came out because the, the, the mother is making the chickens, the eggs very warm. And that's how the chicks comes out. So that's, by the way, one of the biggest miracles in nature. How inside the egg, you have the chicks for X amount of time, and from the minute he was being created inside the shell, Hashem already provided him with his food for the entire time that he needs. The mother doesn't have access to the babies. They are inside the egg. They are inside. If you want to get to them, you're going to kill them if you break the egg. So they, you see, this is a proof how the living of every person comes from Hashem. That it's, it's technically against all odds. <laughs> Imagine if a baby was born with some kind of metal uh, surrounding around him. There's no way to drill it. There's no way to access it. 24 hours, he'll be dead. This is the idea here. And you know, there's for, many, for hundreds of years, the rabbis and the Greeks used to argue what makes the chicks, the white or the yellow. One say the yellow, one say the white. And in the end, they both were wrong. It's none of them. Not both. None of them. But once the, the chicken become pregnant, inside that egg, there's one microscopic seed of the male. Very, very small. There's no way to see it with the eye. And that's automatically developed into a bird. But the white and the yellow, it's the food. That's what confused many now. Why they couldn't know? Because the Torah didn't tell you. Not everything in history the Torah was speaking about. The Torah spoke about all the important things. The Torah never wrote in a pasuk what created the chicken, the yellow or the white. It was a regular argument, a natural argument. And since the rabbis and the Greeks didn't have a telescope, a microscope, they didn't have, a microscope, so there was no way to see. 
Later, today, when we have the microscope, we see it inside. But then, in those days, they couldn't see. So, the Shiruven puts the five eggs under the, 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 the chickens. And the, the, the birds came out, the, the chicks came out. And now, Shimon refused to give him the, chick, the five chicks. He said, I'm only paying you for five eggs whatever it is, 10 cents each. Here, take 50 cents, leave me alone. So what do you mean? I have five chicks. I said, no, you don't. The chicks came thanks to my birds, to the big chicken, not thanks to you. Without me, you wouldn't have anything. It would become eating eggs. That's what it would become. You would eat it. How much it worth? 10 cents. Here, I'm paying you. Not stealing from you. And he said to him, what do you mean? Without my eggs, you wouldn't have five chicks. Who deserves to get them? What do you think? It's a good question, no? If you're the judge in a case like this. I know it's only 50 cents. It's the concept. It's not the money. The whole thing is there were fertile eggs when they went under the chicken for incubation. Yes. So that was the trick. They were already fertilized. Right. They were fertilized. There's no argument. But without the mothers, they they would, uh, this fertilization wouldn't help anything. That's it. They'll die inside. There's nothing. That's sometimes we have blood inside the egg. Sometimes you see blood. Yeah, that's like fertilization that was supposed to be a chicken. And in the end, that's why we got to take this blood out. By the way, you know, one time when the Christian used to make all kinds of stories about the rabbis and execute them and put them in prison. So one of the cases, they took a very holy man and they accused him that he he killed a Christian boy and he took his... uh, he took his blood and to make matzah. Such foolish <laughs> nonsense. You know, like a, like a normal human being can eat the blood of a boy. It's, mamash, it's, it's, even a Nazi, I wouldn't suspect him that he's eating the eating blood of a Jew. Such nonsense that those ignorant fools are wasting people's time of speaking about it. And believe it or not, in the Arabic world, that's what they teach every day in school. And that's what the Jews used to do in Europe, much like this, without any hesitation. So anyway, so the judge, the judge is trying to show that he's honest. Sometimes the judges are honest because they don't have a choice, because they know what people will think about me. They are not honest. They always think who watch and what, what they're going to write tomorrow. So there's no choice. Sometimes it's too obvious. I cannot. Even if he receives bribe, not always he can take one side, because the, 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 the the proofs are so clear to the other side, <laughs> it's too much for him to say, no, no, he's right, you know? So anyway, in the middle of the trial, the lawyer of the rabbi, which was a Jew, the rabbi told him, tell the judge to get any Jewish woman from the street and I'll prove to him in five minutes that there's no way I could kill that boy. They already know. They call up any Jewish woman from the street, randomly. She comes into the court. He said, ma'am, the rabbi wants to ask you a question. He said, I want you to go and get a chicken, a, an egg, from anywhere, from a store. Get an egg and make me an omelet. Come inside here to the court. Go to the kitchen here. I want the judge and everybody to see how you make an omelet. So they ask him, what's, what's, what's relevant to the case? In the middle of the trial, we're going to execute you soon. You, you want an omelet now? He said, no, no, no. Just give me, be patient with me five more minutes. So the woman went and got the egg. First thing she did is checking the, looking inside. 
So they ask her, what are you doing? Why are you looking like this? She said, I'm checking to see if there's no blood. So he said, well, and if there is blood? He said, no, we're not allowed. If there's a dot of blood, that's not, this egg is not kosher. We cannot eat blood. It's against the Torah. Let's dismiss the case. <laughs> the Torah says, Life and death is in a, in a tongue. Depend on your tongue. What comes out of your mouth? All right, so we're moving back to here. The, by the way, the answer to the question is that Shimon received the chicks and he has to pay him for the eggs. Gives him 50 cents and he tells why? Who gave you permission to enter my property? So that's a violation. That's a knas. Technically, he doesn't deserve to get the chicks. They should have split it. According to the Gemara, they have to split it 50-50. You understand? But since he violated his rights and he went into his house without permission, then he loses everything. So whenever there is an equal doubt, then they give a penalty to one side, automatically lose the case. And that's what happened in this case in uh, Beidin. Okay, let's move on. So the Gemara says that uh, all of a sudden Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa is a rich guy. He has lots of sheep. So the Gemara gives the story how person left a chicken, and that chicken became a few hundreds, and then one time he realized he cannot control anymore all these chickens and feed them all day, so he sold them and bought a pair of sheep, male and female, that's it, or he bought a female and the female was pregnant, one of the two, then they gave birth and more and more and more, all of a sudden after a few years, now he has, who knows, maybe a hundred different sheep. Now, all he's doing is for years is watching this for the person that one day will come again to that market and see his house there and will remember that one time he left a chicken. And that's what happened. One time he came and the person came and knocked on his door, excuse me, sir, yes, you know, a few years ago I came here, I gave you a chicken. I'm sorry, you know, it's my fault. I forgot to come claim for my chicken. <laughs> but wow, whatever happened with that chicken? He said, come, come, uh, let me show you your chicken. Took him to the backyard, you see, a hundred different sheep, this guy became rich. What's the halacha now? How much the guy has to pay him for raising his sheep for seven years, let's say, whatever it was? How much he has to pay him? Depends. If the milk and the wool that the, the sheep generates over the years was enough to cover the cost of the food and taking care of them, today we need... Uh, veterinar and, uh, and, and all kinds of doctors and charts and I don't know, whatever they have over there, security. So there's other expenses today. But in those days it was very simple. You just have to give them grass to eat, that's it. They eat grass, they drink water, it's almost for free. So the sheep, the milk and the wool covers the expenses of raising them, that's it. He doesn't have to pay you anything. If it wasn't enough, you have to calculate how much it costs you over the years and he has to pay you. What happens if you don't want to lay out the money from your pocket? Then you sell it, you sell it, and you keep the money until one day the person show up. If he doesn't show up, Eliyahu and Navi one day show up, tell you what to do with his money. That's the law. So now, when they come and say to him, your, uh, your sheep are stealing, he told them it's impossible. My sheep never ate one bite from someone's ass grass. If that's the case, may all my sheep will be eaten by bears. Let the bears eat them. And if not, my sheep will bring a bear in their mouth. 
And the Gemara said, such was such a tzaddik that everything came out of his mouth. We don't find anyone in the world like this today. He say thing, a few hours later you see it happens. Okay, amazing, amazing. Very good. All right, let's move on. Rabbi Elazar ben Pedat was a very poor man. So poor, he doesn't have anything to eat, not even carobs. One time, he was starving, he saw a piece of garlic. Imagine when you didn't eat for three days and you see raw garlic. Would you try to eat it or not? <clears throat> when you're so hungry, you get to a point that you're going to die anyway. So let's try, maybe this vitamin over there will keep me alive another five hours. He didn't think that the, actually it's going to be the opposite, that the garlic will kill him. When on an empty stomach you eat a clove of garlic, so right away he passed out, passed out from the gar- from garlic, it's very spicy, it goes to the throat, to the nose, to the nostrils. He couldn't breathe, oh, he passed out. While he was, while he was f- fainted, they, they came and they found him sit, laying down on the floor, and they saw that sparks of fire are coming out of his nose, and he's smiling. He's fainted with a smile on his face and little sparks falling from his nose. They come to him and say, they woke him up and say, Hey, Rabbi, we found you laying here smiling, dreaming. You have little sparks coming from your nose. Well, what exactly were smil- what you were dreaming about? So he said, I was with Akalosh Baruch Hu, with God together. And he told me, and I told him, how long more I have to suffer this kind of poverty? That's my purpose in life, just to suffer poverty? Hashem told me, Elazar Bni, my son Elazar, do you want me to return the world to the beginning point? Maybe you will be born in a better fortune? Because, you know, we have signs in horoscope, right? We have uh, uh, a glee. Uh, I don't know how to call it in English, all these signs. You have twins, you have all, you know, all these things. It depends on the month where you're born. The month, the week, the day, the hour, the minute. The, every minute is already a different fortune. It's going to change your entire life. That's why we're not allowed to induce in, the, in deliveries unless if there's a risk, life risk. Just to induce because the doctor is in a rush to go home, we're not allowed. Uh, also, we're not allowed to shorten the life of an old man or a sick man by even one second. We're not allowed. We don't have permission to be God. So, the idea here was that God says to him, do you want me to return the world to the beginning point? And maybe you'll be born in a different fortune, maybe in a different hour, and then you'll, you'll have a better fortune of, of wealth. So he said to him, uh, he said to him, depend. Did I live most of my life, or I didn't live most of my life yet? So Hashem told him, most of your life are behind you. So, okay, it doesn't work for me to start from the beginning. Maybe yes, maybe not. Maybe I'm born again <laughs> a poor. No, okay, no, no. So keep me like this. Saying, he said to him, he said to him, what's my reward to the next world? So he shown him 12 rivers of Afarsimon's oil, most expensive liquid, like rivers of perfumes. 
and he say, you're going to have great pleasure inside. Of course, this is all meshalim, all analogy. Don't take it literally, yeah? So he say to him, that's all? These rivers, that's it? He asked Hashem. So Hashem said, what will be left for your friends? You want everything for yourself? Leave some for your friends. So he told him, Hashem, if you would be a human being, God forbid, then I understand you're limited. You have to give equal to all the righteous people. You have no problem giving as much as you want to everyone. So Hashem said to him, if you won't be quiet, I'm going to shoot missiles, arrows, arrows. I would shoot arrows on you. And that's when the sparks were coming out. So this is, a, you know, what? I don't have time to start explaining to you all the secrets in this dialogue between him and Hashem. If one day you have time, you read the Maharal, he explains all the Haggadetot in Shas in a, an amazing way. It's all secrets. The Ari and the Mekubalim say that in all these stories, that some of them sound very strange, all the secrets of the Torah are hidden in those stories. The Chachamim spoke in language that ordinary people will never understand what's behind it. It's a lot of secrets. I'll give you one example. One time they wanted to announce that there's Rosh Chodesh. The Romans didn't let. So they said, David Melech Israel Chai Vekayam. What's the connection? The King David is still alive. What's the connection? David Melech Israel Chai Vekayam. The secret numeric value of that sentence is Rosh Chodesh. The beginning of the month. All kinds of secrets. The, the Talmud is full of secrets. So, the story from this, from here we see that sometimes a person can be very poor here, can be very big tzaddik, can be very poor, but don't worry, your time will come soon. Before you realize, life is a blink of the eye. Uh, you know, there used to be a very, very big rabbi, his name Eben Ezra. Rabbi Avraham Eben Ezra, he lived 750 years ago. In every chumash you see his interpretation on the chumash, Eben Ezra. They are so poor, sometimes we went three days without eating. Not like today. The poor people, they always have what to eat. They come to a store, say, have mercy on me, give me... They give him an apple. Give him a pita, empty pita. What well, a big deal. How much it costs him? 20 cents? Here, take a piece of bread, don't die. Please don't die. Here, take rye bread. Here, take a bag. Come back next week. Those, those primitive days, it wasn't like today. You have to go to a place until you get to the market. You're poor, you don't have how to get there. People were starving to death. So, you know, so... Sometimes a person can go in this life so poor, and in the end, for every moment of suffering, it's only duplicate and triple his reward more and more and more just for those moments of suffering. So the Ibn Ezra was so poor, and his student decided to help him out. They were learning with him, they, uh, they had a little money, they, they decided to collect money and give it to him. But he had a rule, he doesn't want to receive donation from anyone. I don't want to take any gifts from any person. So how are they going to give him the money? So they decided to, make, to put a wallet on the street while he's walking towards the yeshiva. They'll hide, they know they see him coming, they put the wallet and they all hide behind the trees and see what happened. When he, when he came closer, they saw that he walks with his eyes closed and he went over the wallet. He didn't pick it up. His eyes was closed. So how can it be? Finally, we got him on the way. We put the wallet and didn't pick it up. 
The next day they told him, Rabbi, we saw you yesterday, two o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, walking in a, on the street with your eyes closed. We want to know what's the secret here. Maybe you teach us something new in the Torah. We want to learn. So he said, in the morning I was very, very broken. For three days I didn't eat. I was very weak. It was disturbing me. I couldn't learn Torah as usual. And I asked Hashem in my prayer in the morning, why it gets to a situation that it's affecting my Torah and mitzvot? Okay, I suffer is one thing. But I want to be able to learn Torah, that's all. What am I asking for? One piece of bread a day? Even in Auschwitz they gave one piece of bread a day. You know, so what am I asking for? Then I saw a poor, a, 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 a blind person walking in the street. Cannot see anything. Sir, sir, can you show me where to go? When I look at that blind person, I realize what a lucky man I am that I'm only hungry. Can you compare hungry to blind? Blind has million dollars. They can't see anything in life. What's better, to be hungry every day and see colors and see the world and able to read Torah? Oh, to have a million dollars in your account or to have a million dollars in your account and not to be able to see anything. So I wanted to see how, how much the blind person suffers every day. I wanted to compare his suffering to my suffering. So I decided all day to walk with my eyes closed. And then I realized how lucky I am that I'm only poor. <laughs> so, they, so his Talmudian, his student, told him, Rabbi, we have a suggestion. Maybe you go to bury bodies in a cemetery. Nobody will die. When a person is not supposed to make money, you just don't make money. Go and be working in a cemetery. Since Hashem doesn't want to give you any parnasa, nobody will die. Because if they die, you make money. <laughs> you know, you got the point or not. I remember one time, I had a friend, he used to live in Muncie. Now he's eight years in Israel already. So his name is Shimon. He was he's such a wonderful person. But he's, a, he's the type of person that, you know... I, I hope today is different, but in those days you see that it doesn't have mazal. Try this business, doesn't work. Try that one, doesn't work. Try this one, doesn't work. In spirituality, Baruch Hashem, he did wonderful things. Money-wise, some bad decisions in business. People took advantage on his great heart. It was, it was a combination of problems. One time in Chola Moed, we decided to take the kids to see animals in a safari in Six Flags. First and last time ever. It's, uh, it's two zoos over there, if you know what I mean. One zoo is the animals, one zoo is so many people and crowded and... Ah, it's not a place for a person who loves Hashem, it's very difficult to walk there. But anyway, we already made that mistake. And they close at four o'clock. Four o'clock you cannot enter. It's supposed to be two, two and a half hours. So... We left at 1 o'clock, three cars from Muncie. Three cars were on the way there. And a very interesting thing happened. Just maybe 20 minutes before 4, we got maybe three miles before the place. Accident. The highway is blocked. Can't move. By the time we got out of the traffic, we arrived to the line five minutes to 4. 
five minutes to four, now I see there's maybe 20 cars in front of us. You know, it's like a toll booth. You have to pay. With a... I say to my wife, my friend Shimon is the first car, I'm the second, and we have another guy behind me. Shimon, me, and Uri, three cars with families. I say to my wife, how much you want to bet <laughs> that once Shimon will get to the booth, they'll close. <laughs> Everybody before him will go through. When he's going to get there, that's it, we're not in. I should have been first to Uri. It's <laughs> a big mistake, he's the first car. <laughs> she told me, ah, what are you talking about? <laughs> Four o'clock, he's the next one on the line. A guy came with a truck, sir, stop, the car went like this, blocked the way, no more entering from today. I said, <laughs> we were begging this guy to let us in for the children. We drove more than three hours to get there. He doesn't want to let us in. He doesn't want to let us in. The kids were barely, you know, the kids were screaming, crying, no, please, what, whatever we were trying to convince this guy to let us in, no, sir, that's the rules here, four o'clock, finish, go home. So we came from, I'll show him, I'll show you the address, we came more than three hours drive, we're not locally here from uh, uh, Philadelphia, whatever it is, no. The fact that we are Jews with Yamaka didn't help us too much over there. So now we're thinking what to do. So I say to him, follow me. If you ever went there, you know there's trees on the right. Trees, like a forest. I say, you know what? Let's go through the forest with the car. Let's see where it's leading us. <laughs> the next thing we found ourselves back to the toll. It went around. All of a sudden, where we came, he left the car. He parked the car and left. We came in. We walked in. We paid him the money. And we saved the... <laughs> the whole avoid for the kids. Why am I telling you this? Sometimes if a person is not supposed to have luck, mazal, nothing he can do, that's it. That's blocked from all over. There's a period of time when Hashem is testing a person. You know, it's, it's now they have the Christmas holiday of the Goim. So there, there's a beautiful joke, and it's so correct, unfortunately. Uh, about the tricks that some of the Jews always use their Jewish mind to make some tricks sometimes. So, you know, the plane say, the captain say to a plane that goes from United States to Israel. While they're landing, he say, uh, welcome to Israel, we'll be on the ground in, in 10 minutes. The plane landed, everybody clap. Only in the Israeli planes they clap when you land on Hashem. No, they clap to Hashem, why not? The other, play, other planes, they take it for granted that they land. Well, Israeli likes to clap. Okay, no, so they clap. Now he's, he's taxing on the, on the driveway there. So the captain say, please do not untie your seatbelt. Keep your seatbelt fastened. And please do not turn your cell phone on. Five minutes later, until the, the plane will completely park. Five minutes later, the captain comes again and says, for those of you who are sitting in their place with their seatbelt fastened, have a Merry Christmas. For those of you who are standing and talking on their cell phone, have a Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> the Jews obey the rules of the captain. 
You take a Jew, he has two opinions already. One day is left, one day is right. Why? It's boring to have only one opinion, right? That's it. Whatever, people argue, he chooses a side, today I'm Chabad, tomorrow I'm Breslev, next day I'm Sfaradi, next day I'm Vishnitz, every day. Tomorrow, oh, argument, today I'm Satmir. Why can't you choose the right way and that's it? Every day jumping like a clown. No, anyway. So the Gemara say, the Gemara say, Avraham Avinu said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Ribbono Shel Olam, dear God, maybe the nation of Israel making sins and you about to do to them what you did to the generation with the flood, everyone drowned, or maybe what you did when they built the, the Babylonian tower, Say no, no, no. Hashem said to him, "Love, no." Amar lefanav, ribono shalolam. Tell me, you told me that I'm going to inherit the land. Please show me how. He told him, you know, this is by the way the reason why we suffered so much in Mitzrayim. That from that question of a tzaddik, Hashem told him, "You're going to inherit," and he said, "Prove to me that, like you tell Hashem, I'm not sure that what you say it's going to be." For Avraham Avinu, it was already too much. And he said to him like this, Take a calf, a young calf. Uh, it says to him, I understand in a time of Bet HaMikdash, when there's no Bet HaMikdash, Hashem told him, you can take a calf and sacrifice it, and that will make a repentance for the entire nation. So Abraham told him, okay, this is in the time of Bet HaMikdash. When there's no Bet HaMikdash, what's going to happen? He told him, don't worry. I already gave them a replacement for the sacrifices. What is it? Every day when they pray, Shachrit and Mincha, morning and evening and afternoon, they read Seder HaKorbanot, all the sacrifices that they used to do in the time of Bet HaMikdash. It's count like they did by reading it. Sheneemar, what did we say? We pay the cows with our lips, since there's no altar, no Bet Mikdash. How do we pay the cows? With our lips. One time the Romans made a decree that you cannot bring trees anymore to the altar of Bet Mikdash. And they put police on the way that you cannot deliver trees to Bet Mikdash. What happens? Soon the fire is going to go off, no more sacrifice, there's nothing you can do. Well, you need Bet HaMikdash if you don't have a fire. So, the people who were righteous and love Hashem, what did they do? You know how they brought trees? They pretend they bring ladders. They took the trees, they make ladders, and every hour somebody bring a ladder. And then they break the ladders and they use the trees. You know, it's, it's an excuse. You know, what do you call this meritza in English? There's one wheel and two handles, and, and you bring sand with that. Wheelbarrow. Wheelbarrow. <laughs> one guy comes to the duty in Israel with a wheelbarrow. He comes like this. He brings it inside. They say to him, sir, what do you have inside? It was covered with sand. Nothing. You can check. Check, check. So they check inside the sand. Nothing inside. It's not smuggling anything. Okay, you can go in. Next week he comes again. He goes in with a wheelbarrow. Again with sand. He says, sir, what are you smuggling today? Check. Like this 10, 20, 30 times. Every week he comes with a wheelbarrow. 
So they told him, sir, cannot be. How many wheelbarrows you bring? For what? If you're not smuggling anything. Okay, tell us the truth. We promise you we don't touch you. We just want to learn for other people. He told them, you fool, I'm smuggling wheelbarrows. <laughs> <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> they thought about everything besides that. So like, it's like a person bringing a safe. Sir, what do you have inside the safe? Open, check. And he keeps bringing safes inside, and they're not realizing. Anyway, uh, that's very, very interesting, because now maybe we're giving ideas for the crooks what to do. But I saw a nice question yesterday about a rabbi in Israel that gives a lecture once a week to a group of business people, once a week, and they all love it very much. They take lunch break. They come from all the offices in a diamond district, and he teaches them about business according to the Talmud, to the Gemara. And he shows them cases that come to the Jewish court every day. How strange, what ideas the crooks have how the rabbis have to know who's right. He teach them what's going on in a court. After a few weeks, one businessman guy comes to him and says, Rabbi, you are great. Since I met you, I doubled my income. He said, what? He said, I never believe somebody like me that knows all the shtick in a business, I never believe that I do not know nothing compared to these people in your court. Yeah, no, I have no idea how much I learned from your lectures. <laughs> what did he learn? To be a crook, worse than what he was. Now this poor rabbi, he comes to teach Torah. I found out he gave this thief who knows how many ideas to cheat customers. From the stories, he came to the rabbi, to his rabbi. He said, Rabbi, I'm giving this shiur. Everyone loves it. They're all okay people. There's one crook there. What am I supposed to do? Should I cancel the lecture completely? Should I change the subject completely? Should I keep the same subject and ignore him since he's a crook, he's a crook? Or maybe I should mix it with ethic, with Musar? What should I do? So the rabbi gave him an example from the time of the Gemara that Rabbi Yossi one time came to a city and he was giving a lecture. And he was teaching about the thieves in Sdom, how they used to go to the safe of the people. How they used to come to a person and say, sir, I have some farsemons here. Farsemons. It's fruit that has delicious smell. They tell him, can you watch it for me? It's an expensive fruit. I'll come back tomorrow and take it from you. So the person takes it. Where is the person hiding something precious? Inside his vault. Inside his safe. Where is hiding all his cash? And then they come in the middle of the night and they go like this. They smell, you know, and they smell. Where is the smell of this farsemon? Oh, it smells over there. They go around, oh, it smells right here. They dig a little bit, and they find all the jewelry and the money, and they steal, thanks to the smell of the falsehood. After he gave that lecture, that night there were 300 robberies in that city. So the people of that city came and started to demonstrate against Rabbi Yossi. What, you coming to teach Torah and you taught the crooks? So he told him, I, you should have told me that this city is so corrupted. How am I supposed to think that I'm coming to give a lecture in a place and almost everybody in the crowd was a thief? Usually thieves don't come to Shiure Torah. <laughs> so the, the question in the Gemara, was Rabbi Yossi guilty or not? Or he did the right thing? Was he allowed to teach what he taught or no? Yes. Why? The Torah say a pasuk. 
צדיקים דרכי השם, the ways of השם are decent. צדיקים, uh, what's the pasuk there? ילכו בם, the righteous people will follow that path, ורשעים ייכשלו בם, and the wicked people will fail because of the laws of the Torah. Why? You chose to be a thief. You chose to be a crook. The Torah is an obstacle for you. Torah doesn't like crooks. Everything you do is against the Torah, so the Torah becomes your enemy. What made the Torah your enemy and also supposedly God became your enemy? What made it? Your choices, not nature. The Torah can be very friendly. Just listen to the, God, to the God's law and finish. You chose to be a crook, the Torah became an obstacle. Same thing, a person hears Musar, it bothers him. Why it bothers him? You see right away, some people after five minutes of the lecture, they get up and leave. They can't tolerate what they hear. Why? Because they already begin to suffer before they even started the scene. Because they know the speaker is speaking about what I do every day. I can't take this. I can't take this. You know, this is what's going on here. People cannot digest the truth. They can't live with it by the truth. So they begin to make excuses. Oh, it's scary, strict, fanatic. No, it cannot be. He exaggerates. It cannot be that Hashem is like this. I don't believe it, I didn't see it in the Torah, I heard otherwise, millions of excuses. But inside, everybody knows that's the truth. But what am I going to say? That's the truth and I'm a sinner, I'm a loser? What am I going to say? It's much easier to make excuse. I heard otherwise. It's not the opinion of everyone. One, one person came to Rav Eliashiv, so Rabbi, I bought this tefillin for $1,500. The story was more than 10 years ago. So feeling like this probably is more than 2,000 today. So he said to him, I bought it. I paid top dollars for this special software, the best. Then one day I decided to check it, routine check. After I checked it, they told me it's pasul. I went crazy. Ma, for years I put not kosher tefillin. If a person buys tefillin from a very kosher place, they have certificate, they have good recommendation, they learn all the laws, the rabbis know that they're okay, there's no uh, phony business over there. And once in a blue moon, they produced a non-kosher pair. We are, don't forget, we are human. Even the best doctor in the world can kill a patient in the middle of a surgery by mistake, human error. We are human. What happened? If this tefillin got to you, don't blame the sofer. The sofer already wrote a thousand pairs, the old best in the world. One came out not good, it came to you. Of course, he has a guilty, I'm not saying no. But you are guilty, not him. If it came to your hand, that means from the thousand feelings that were distributed to people, which bad one came to you, not to anybody else? From thousands of houses in town, where did the thief go to? To your house. Why is it? It's not coincidence. Thank you. It's not coincidence. You understand what I'm saying here or no? Before time is running out. So it says like this. The people were smuggling ladders. Smuggling ladders. Then, thanks to the ladders, they were continuing to be able to maintain the fire on the, on the altar. 
When Tornostropus, the wicked Caesar, destroyed Bet HaMikdash, there was a decree in the court of heaven for Rabban Gamliel to be killed, the president of Israel. This guy came to Bet HaMikdash and says, one guy came and he knew that the, the Romans are planning to come and kill Rabban Gamliel. Nobody knew yet. He was inside their office when they talk. So he came and say, Baal achotem itbakesh. The one with the nose is requested. He was singing. The one with the nose is requested. He's hinting now. <laughs> Cannot say. Then, then somebody will tell on him. Shamar Rabban Gamliel. Rabban Gamliel heard of it. He came to him, close to him. He said, I know what you mean. He says, if I'm going, he said to him, listen, if I'm going to save you, the guy said, you give me a word that you take me with you to the world to come where the Jews go? The Roman soldier tells him. He says, yes. If you save me, I'll take you with me. The power of this Chacham. He says, swear to me in the name of God. Well, I don't take your word. I know maybe you say it's life risk. You're allowed to say it's a lie when your life is in a risk. Wasn't a stupid guy. Give it to me in writing. That's why they say today. Salik leigra nafal vemit. And the guy killed himself. Ugmiri the So what they had a rule that if they come to a place to kill a person and somebody else died over there, they don't kill in the same day two people. So he had enough time to escape. That guy sacrificed his life to save Rabban Gamliel. Yatztabat kol. And that moment, the Gemara, it's the Gemara. It's a part of the Torah. The Gemara said they announce in heaven that that guy is welcome to heaven. In one minute. That's why we always say, Yes, Adam kone olamo berega echad. A person lived all his life like a goy. He had tons of money. One time, one person came to him and said, Help me out, my yeshiva is collapsing. Give me a nice check before the yeshiva will collapse. And he doesn't even keep one mitzvah, maybe he's even married to Goya, who knows? So many out there like this. He said, What do you mean yeshiva collapsing? He said, If I don't have a check by, the next, by next week to pay all the debts that I accumulated, the city shut my yeshiva, no more Torah, 300 kids go home. I don't know what's going to happen. How much you need? Three million dollars to get back on my feet. He may, he may even have a hundred million, but not all the rich people usually are not the most generous in the world. How they say, I work very hard for my money. He gave it to him, all his status in heaven changed. From a complete wicked guy, despicable, hated, shh, everything flipped in one minute. And if he wouldn't give it, he would lose the three million dollar in the next deal anyway. And then the suffering will be seven times worse. Think about it. A person, a rabbi came to him in the morning, help me, help me out, give me tzedakah, I need tzedakah, I'm helping a poor family. Let's say he knows kosher. Today, if you don't know if the person is kosher or not, you're supposed to give him very little, a quarter and finish. Don't be impressed from his beard or anything like this. You don't know who the person is, he comes to shul, maximum a quarter. Hey, that's what you're giving me? I don't know you. What do you mean? Look at my beard. 
Bin Laden has a longer beard. Well, what's the beard? Who are you? They show you letters, you don't know. In Brighton Beach, there's a Russian lab, all, they fake all these letters. You go, they make you anything you want, new driver's license, new passport. They can make you Rav Ovadia Yosef if they want. You bring the picture, Rabbi Ovadia Yosef, 91 years old, and he looks with your beautiful shaved face, you became Rabbi Ovadia Yosef in Brighton Beach. Yeah, why? Well, you can rely on these letters. So the bottom line is, <laughs> the, the bottom line here is that a person wrote the check and he got saved. He wouldn't write it, he would lose it anyway. When a, when a person comes, help me out, help me out, and you know it's kosher, and you didn't give him the $100 that you were thinking to give him, and then five minutes later you came up and you saw a ticket, a $105 ticket, you know right away Hashem punished you right away. And, and the suffering now from the ticket is much, much worse than if this rabbi wouldn't talk to you. You agree with me or not? Why? Because you say, oh, now it's going to the drunks that sit in Harlem and play domino all day. Now the money will go to them. You understand? I could have helped the Torah and where the money is going to go? To the drug dealers, to the, all these people who make sins day and night nonstop. Why? They call, they collect money, and I had an opportunity to direct my money to a kosher source. I did not. I lost it anyway. I lost it anyway. Ah, what a disappointment. All right, so let's move on. The Gemara continues. Rabbi Akiva says, if somebody works on Tisha B'Av, the ninth day of Av, he cannot see blessing from the money he made that day ever in his life. You hear me or no? A person has a store, big business. Rabbi, I can't close in Tisha B'Av. I'm not talking a person that has food or a doctor that the public needs him, so it's more like a chesed to them. If all the, clothes, all the stores of the, of the food will be closed, what are we going to eat when Tisha B'Av is over? You need things for the baby. You need an emergency things. You need a store open, food, food for Motzei Kitsha Be'av. So food shopping is okay. Doctors is okay. But you sell clothing, you cannot close your store one day in Tisha Be'av. If you go and work actually in Tisha Be'av, no matter what business you have besides the one I mentioned, you can make any amount of money, look at this money, ascend. It's not really money. It's going to get out of your pocket, one way or the other, tomorrow, next week, next year, 20 years later, one day you pay this money. Why? There cannot be that the whole world, the Jewish world, is sitting and crying for the destruction of the house of God, and you go, as usual, to make money, stand in your store there and listen to music while you're making money, and you think you're going to benefit from it? Absolutely not. So what does the Gemara says? The Gemara says, uh, how did, how did, uh, you know, what happened? Oh, here, the Gemara says like this. My computer wants to move on to the next slide. Sometimes, it's, for whatever reason, he moves to the next slide. I don't know what's the secret here. Maybe a spirit here that says, let's move on. Maybe you'll talk too much about the same slide. Anyway, it happens every week. It's very strange. Okay, anyway, so it says like this. 
uh, it says like this, uh, he doesn't see any kind of blessing, and Chachamim say, if he walks in Tisha B'Av, and you don't sit and cry with the public for the destruction of Jerusalem, when Hashem will rebuild the third Bet Mikdash, you will not be there in the big party. You will not be there. Why? Why you will not be there? Because this is what it says, Simchu et Yerushalayim v'giluba. Be happy and, and a, a resurrection of Yerushalayim. Kol o'avea, sisu ita masos kol amitablim alea. Who is going to have the merit to participate in the big party of the resurrection of Yerushalayim, which means the third temple, those who were sitting and crying for it. If you didn't participate in the morning, you won't see the salvation of Chaz Shalom of, of Yerushalayim. So it's very, very interesting to know these things. And uh, since we're running out of time, let's move on. Amar Rashbag, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, the son of Rabban Gamliel, there were no better days for the nation of Israel like the 15 days of Av, Tu Be'av, and Yom HaKippurim. Yom HaKippurim, we know why. Hashem forgive our sins. We receive the second commandments instead of the first one who Moshe broke. But Tisha, the 15 of Av, what's so special about it? Rabbi Yehuda says in the name of Shmuel, this is the day that they allowed the tribe to mix. Up to that moment, every tribe have to marry his own people. Levi with Levi, Shimon with Shimon, Reuven with Reuven. No, no mixing. Why? Because they have to share the lands, and it goes by the fathers. Which father gets a piece of real estate in what area of Israel, according to the lottery? And if they mix, then they won't know what part to give to what tribe. It belongs to this tribe or to that tribe? What's going to create a confusion? And that day, they allowed the, the tribes to mix, and the entire nation of Israel became one big nation with no more tribes. Amar of Nachman, one other thing happened. They allowed Shevet Binyamin to, to, back, to be back as a part of Israel, because they put a band on them after the story of Pilegesh Bagiva. It's a horrible story. I don't have time to start it now. And they got them in band that nobody will marry their daughters or their sons. That day they forgive them and they accepted them back. Also, Rabbi Yochanan say, this is the time that all the people who Hashem cursed in the desert, the entire generation died. Only two survived. Yoshua ben Nun and Kalev ben Yefune. They are the only two that came out of Egypt and entered Israel. Everybody else died. Why? They made few sins. They complained too much to Hashem. Hashem said, you won't see Israel. Even Moshe Rabbeinu, even Aaron, they didn't see Israel. The day that all the generation passed away, that was that day, Tishtu Be'av. Then that day, Hashem didn't speak to Moshe. Where does it say it? Deuteronomy 2. When did Hashem start it again to talk to me, Moshe says? After all the people passed away. You know, and he says like this. Ula say, what's so special about Tu Be'av? This is the day that Hoshea ben Elak dismissed all the... Avodah Zarah that Yerovam ben Navat put on the way to Jerusalem. 
He didn't want people to go to Jerusalem because there was Rechavam over there. It was Judah and Israel. It was split to two groups. And he knew if he's going to go to Yerushalayim, Rechavam sits on his king chair, and he's going to have to send like one of the crowd. And it's an embarrassment for him. And he didn't want, so he put idols in the area of Tel Aviv, Bet Shemesh, those areas. And he told them, we don't have to go this year to Yerushalayim. We can worship Hashem through these statues today. Sounds silly, but that's what happened. Just that his ego will not get offended. You understand? So, 52 ways to Jerusalem, in each one of them he put a statue. You want to go? The police. Hey, where are you going? Here, here is, here. You want to connect to Hashem? Here, you have this, the, this rabbi here. Connect to Hashem through this rabbi. Connect to Hashem through this rabbi. Connect to Hashem through this grave. Connect to Hashem through this statue. Connect to Hashem through the sun. Connect to Any connection to Hashem through something, even a person, even a righteous person, as I say in one of my lectures here before, is a very, very bad scene. Very, very bad scene. What else happened in that day? Amar of Matana, the people who died in the city of Betar, millions of people were butchered, rivers of blood close to Yerushalayim. Finally, after three years, the Romans allowed to bury them. And a miracle was that they didn't smell the whole area. I just walked here on the way here, the sewer here, because of the snow, it seems to me frozen. The entire block here is horrible smell. Just one area of sewer, <laughs> horrible smell, right here outside. Baruch Hashem, it doesn't come to a shul. You know that there was a big fire in the Carmel Mountain in Israel, one of the biggest miracles you can see. Go into my uh, Facebook, you can see that clip. The entire town was burned completely. There was one rooming home, rooming house, that was rented to young people. The, the, the entire building burned out completely. Nothing left, not even one pole left. Everything is black like chuckles. One room in the middle of the house, the fire didn't touch. Which room? Room full of holy books. And the three yeshiva guys renting that room and learning Torah, Gemara in that room. That room, they interviewed the girls. The girls, are, we have nothing to say. The girls are not so religious. Maybe they're a little bit religious. I'm not even sure. So we never saw such a thing. Look, look around. Around everything is burned. The fire skipped that room. And this room is the same thing like the rest of the house. All the holy books. Even the secular reporter from the news say, we have to admit that it's an unbelievable miracle. To hear a miracle in a prime time in the news? Wow, wow, wow. No. So, three years, the bodies are not burning. And they made a special bracha in Yavne. Why Yavne? That's where Sanhedrin moved to. Sanhedrin used to sit in Bet HaMikdash in Lishkat HaGazit. They had a section that all the Chachamim were sitting there, like a yeshiva inside Bet HaMikdash. The Chachamim one day decided to move to Yavne. Why you leave Jerusalem and move to Yavne? It's strange, no? Strange, no? Imagine all the rabbis from Jerusalem will move today to Yavne. What kind of, what's going on here? Why? You leave the holiest city in the world and you move to Yavne? Chachamim of Sanhedrin? 71 most important people in the world? Why they moved to Yavne, you know? You know why or no? Because the Torah says when you have to execute a wicked Jew, 
We have to execute him. The Torah says something very interesting. Me'et mizbachi tikachenu lamut. You take him to the execution from my altar. What's the connection altar now? Mizbeach. What's the connection? Where the Mizbeach is, next door to the Lishkat Gazit, where the Chachamim sit. The altar is here, and they sit here and learn, and, uh, and renew all the laws, and, and judging people. So the Torah says, the only way to execute a person, if you take him directly, once they sentence him to death, in that room, which we call Lishkat Gazit, Sanhedrin, you don't wait a minute. Directly you take him to the execution place. That's how they used to do it. So the Chachamim found a way. They said, listen, up to now, we didn't have to execute anyone. Everyone is righteous. Now we have too many cases. Let's move out of here. If we move out of here, we won't be able to keep the words of the Torah. The Torah says, how do you execute a person? You take him from the altar directly to the execution. In Yavne, there's no altar. We don't have to execute anyone. They didn't want to kill people. So let Hashem kill them. Why should we kill them? Who wants a job like this to be a killer? Huh? I know one killer that killed Eichmann. His name is Hagar. Yemenai Jew. He wasn't religious. After he hung Eichmann, something happened to him, and he became mentally dis- disturbed for about a year. He couldn't come back to work. He had problems. And then when he recovered, he went back to be a policeman and became religious. What happened? How the monster Eichmann, Imach Shimod, had murdered millions of Jews, how did he make one Jew religious? How? After he hung him, he was supposed to take his body off the rope. In order to take his body, you have to hug him, right? You press on his stomach, and you pick him up a little bit, and then you take him out of the hook, right? He has around his neck. You have to pick him up a little bit. While he was pressing on his stomach, there was a lot of air inside. So all the air came out from the mouth. And all of a sudden, the eyes of Eichmann, the air came to the face. And he, started, he went like this. Oh! And this Yemenite Jew got so scared. He maybe got up. This monster came back to life after I hung him. He fell with him on the floor. That's it. He couldn't forget it. He went into shock. And they took him to hospital, they took care of him, whatever. For one year he couldn't function, nothing, from the tragedy. And then slowly, 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 slowly he went back to normal and became religious thanks to this case. You know, sometimes a person, for whatever reason, wait for something tragedy or something painful to happen in his life until he remembers to become religious. Sometimes Hashem takes a person's father or mother away knowing they respect their father and father so much during the year, and from that they become religious. I always think to myself, what fools we are. You have to wait until your parents passed away to remember Hashem exists. Some people, they're religious one day a year. The Christians are religious two days a year. Christmas, almost even the Italian mafia, they go to church, right? Christmas Eve. They all sit in the Misa, with the piano, you know, in all these fancy schmancy churches. Tomorrow he has a list of executions. But today he sits singing to Santa and to J.C. Penny, you know, sitting together. But the next day they become religious is New Year's Eve. 
all the secular Christians, two days a year they're religious. Some Jews, also the same thing, two days a year they're religious. Yom Kippur and the Yorzeit of their parents. If, one, if both of them died, so three days a year. That's it. Three days a year, they remember Hashem is here. No. So, finishing the list, what else happened in Tubeav? This is the time when they used to stop cutting trees to the Maharacha. That's a dead enough. They didn't have to continue to cut. Then, from that time, the heat, which was horrible, you know, the heat in Israel is very, very hot, started to go down. From that moment on, it's becoming cooler. Also, why they stop cutting trees to the, to, for the altar? Because they're not dry anymore. Trees that are not dry, they're not good for the fire. Because they're humid inside. They're moisturized. Well, something moisturized is hard to burn. Also, the, 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 the girls of Israel used to go out to show themselves to get a shiduch. What they call today, single glad kosher party. If there is glad kosher party like this. Single event. Single event. And all the girls dress the same clothes. That you don't know if his father is Donald Trump or Bill Gates. You won't know. Somebody told me this week that Donald Trump, daughter or son, something got married to a religious Jew and converted. Do you hear that or no? His daughter, I think, married a Shomer Shabbos Jew. I don't know. I hear a lot of rumors. and I don't know what of them are true or not. But that's what I heard. She converted. She converted? No. If it's real conversion, I don't know. But okay. Anyway... Uh, okay, so, yeah, so the Gemara also says one other reason they all wear, wore the same clothes, simple clothes, not to embarrass those who cannot afford. And those who were very pretty say, pay attention to my beauty. It's a God gift. Right? Where does it say in the Torah that beauty is important? Sarah is beautiful. Right? Esther is beautiful. The Torah highlight the fact that some of the Jewish mothers were very pretty. Chava, this, that. On another place it says, ah, the beauty is not important. Right? Sometimes it's important, sometimes it's not. If you want to be happily married, you have to love your wife. So if she's completely not your taste, what's the point? Forcing yourself on her? Nah. But to go ask for the most pretty woman in the world is also silly. Where are you going to find yourself in 20 years from now? Those who have good genealogy, they come from an important family, they say, don't forget who are my grandparents, this rabbi, this chief rabbi, I come from the Gaon Vilna, from this, from the Arya Gaon, you know, they say all kinds of things. Those, those, everyone tries to impress with the skills that they have, right? And those who are ugly, what can they say? What are they going to say to the guys? They say, don't forget that marriage is for the sake of heaven. To have righteous kids, and you need a kosher wife to raise them. And I am the one. Everyone has something to brag about. Amarula, it says like this in the name of Rabbi Elazar, one day God will make a party to all the righteous people in heaven. And he brings Mashiach, and Mashiach sits in the center, 
and everyone points with his finger and they say, Vamar Bayomahu ine lukenu ze kivinu lo. Vyoshienu ze ashem kivinu lo nagila venismecha. This is our messenger of God, the Mashiach that came, and for sure he won't be JC. That's for sure. Then We'll finish with this. We have three minutes left, and then I have to move on to my next lecture. Amar Rabbi Yitzchak. If a person come and tell you, I did my best, I put all my efforts, and I was not successful, don't believe him. If a person put all his efforts, it's guaranteed to be successful. Why? Hashem will help you for sure. If a person say, I did nothing, and everything was successful for me. I'm a Talmud Chacham, I'm a Tzaddik, I'm this, everything I have, doing nothing. It comes to me natural. Don't believe him. It's also a lie. If a person say, I did all my best, I put all my efforts, and I was successful, believe him. That's the right way of the Torah. And the Gemara says, this is what? About efforts in learning Torah and knowing Torah. But what about business? Business, you don't need to put too much efforts. A person can come and say, I did nothing in my life and I became a billionaire. Believe him, we saw many of those. But in words of Torah, in Torah knowledge, nobody ever became a billionaire in Torah without killing himself 50, 60 years learning from morning to night. Nobody. Nobody. How you become Rav Eliashiv 60 years from morning to night in the same chair and the same stander? Everybody saw. How you become Rav Shach? 100 years of learning Torah from morning to night. How you become Rav Ovadia? 87 years since he's 3 years old until today, 91 years old. From morning to night, every minute of his life with books on his tables, writing, learning, writing. That's what his house is all like a library. That's all they have in their life. Everything else is a punishment. Sitting to eat, punishment. Sitting in a bathroom, punishment. Going to sleep, punishment. Yes, yes, for him it's a punishment. In the le when a person enjoys the sweetness of the Torah, nothing comes even near that pleasure. The happiness, the light of the Torah, is the best drug you can think of. There's nothing else that can satisfy you like this real thing. It's a real thing. It's not an illusion like the phony drugs out there. And once a person tastes from this, we had Benazai. The Gemara said Benazai didn't want to get married. They told him, you have to get married. The Torah said, I can't, I can't. I'm addicted to the Torah. I can't live one minute without the Torah. I cannot be a husband. I cannot be a father. I cannot do anything in my life besides learning Torah. You take the Torah away five minutes from me, I'm dead. I become crazy. I can't. People in history reach this level. Well, it's not a joke here. Amazing. Mamash amazing. And the Torah says, the Torah says like this, Amar if you see a wicked person that is successful, don't mess with him. Because every wicked person, once in a blue moon, Hashem pays him for the little good that he did in his life. Maybe now is his moment. It's not the right the time to argue with him or to fight with him. Shneemar al titchar b'mereim. Don't David Amelech wrote in Tehillim 37. Don't start arguments and fights with the wicked people. If you see 
is successful is just temporary. Soon he's going to collapse. It's just a matter of time. And if Bezrat Hashem, you should know that we, we, the, the people who try to be righteous, we are far away from being righteous, but we're trying. We work on it. We analyze our days. We see what we can improve. We ask for forgiveness. We try to learn. We try to give tzedakah. We try to learn Torah. We try to come to lectures. Whatever we do, so obviously we have a special place in the eyes of Hashem. We have to know, if you're going to hold yourself righteous, you will never die righteous. Never. If a person is able to say, I'm tzaddik, I'm righteous, I'm religious, I'm a tzaddik, I'm generous, I'm honest, I'm a hard-working in Torah, I'm a great learner, you are zero. If you think that way, you will see that in the end you're going to achieve zero. The only way to move forward is to think I have nothing yet. How all these rich people became rich? In the beginning, when they had $50 in their pocket, their dream was to get to $1,000. That's all. When they got to $1,000, they became very hungry. They want to get to $10,000. Then to $100,000. Then to a million. Once they had a million, they only started to become hungry. Only one million I have? What? What you can do? You cannot even buy a house in Great Neck. What is this? My uncle, this, they all have mansions, houses, accounts. Let's begin to work. Oh, he works five, six years. No, 10 million. 10 years, 10 million dollars, a guy made in a market in one hour. So all my life I work only 10 million. I gotta make it to 100. Why eventually in the end he got to so much? Because he was always hungry for it, and Hashem gave him what was dream was. Okay, you want, this is your life. Money, money, money. Let's uh, give you to get rid of you. As Parashat Bait Hanan say, in the end, the last three psukim, pay the wicked to get rid of them for the few mitzvot that they did in their life. But naturally, what motivates them? Hunger for money. If a person is full, it's not going to make a penny. And I don't, don't want to go to work. I don't want to go collect my checks. You have tenants, they, they owe you rent. I don't care. Let them live for free. <laughs> of course you won't have money. Same thing in Torah, it's needless to say. If you're not dreaming to be Rav Ovadia, you will need be nothing. If you think, I'll know a little bit Torah, that's enough. You won't know even a little bit. If you think, you know what, I'm going to be like this local rabbi, it's also good. You will be a quarter for me. If you say, I'm going to be like this Diane in court, you'll be a quarter for me. In order for you to get to a nice level, you always have to think much, much higher. If you settle on 20%, you get to 5%. You think, I'm going to get to 60% and it's enough, you get to 30%. You say, I'm going to get to 90%, you get to 60%, 70%. You will never get to what you dream. It's a lot of efforts, but if you aim high, you settle somewhere in the middle. If you aim low, or just to pass the red line, believe me, you fail. I know as a student. My motto was as a kid, as a foolish kid, to get 56 in a test. Because 55, it's the red line. 54, it's fail. 55, it's barely passed. I say to myself, let me get 56. Why? Because less than 56, my parents get a phone call. And then my problems begin with my father. So uh, since I knew I'm not going to continue with all these foolish learnings that they teach in secular schools, so I'm thinking to myself, well, anyway, I'm wasting my time here. Why am I sitting here? For my parents. 
This is what most students do in schools. They go to school not to disappoint their parents. Most of them even go to college just to satisfy their parents, that they won't be embarrassed from their family. Why do you think they go to college? They know nothing is going to come out of it. Or some of them wants to live five more years and my parents pay the credit card bills. It's another five years of Keitana, camp. Pizza, beers, party, trips, you know, hanging out. Well, five more years without worry. We're worrying five years from now. Some people really go to college, they want to be one day a big judge or I don't know what, lawyer, whatever, a doctor. So they really put their life in it and they become something successful. They're not aiming anywhere, they achieve nothing. To gain knowledge, remember what I just said in the name of this Gemara and we'll finish for today. We already finished Masechet Ta'anit. Next week we'll start Masechet Megillah Bezrat Hashem. After the snowstorm will allow us to go back to normal. But we finally finish Masechet Megillah Ta'anit. Bezrat Hashem will start a new Masechet. Thank you for coming. We'll see you next week.